This is the good, the Baz, and the ugly. I'm the Baz. Well, that no, I'm Baz. That sounds weird if I go around calling myself the Baz. Anyway, uh, look, this podcast is filled with uncensored interviews with experts in particular fields or real-life stories from people who have inspiring personal tales to tell. It covers various topics and life stories that I've really dug, you know what I mean? And I think you'll dig them too. Just so you know, this podcast is for grown-ups. It may contain adult themes, sexual references, and strong language. Fuck yeah! No, I just wanted to. Sheet! Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. Hold it now, wait, hold it. I know you're gonna dig this. I think the best thing for me to do is to introduce him. What the... What's his name? Baz Ashwami. It's not Baz Ashwami. It's Baz Ashmawi. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 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 good. Sorry, this is the first episode I've ever done where I'm doing peekaboo. Cause John John, yay! Uh, John 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 John's uh, John John's multitasking. How's it going, man? I know the the episode's called Kids Club, but what's happening? It's not bring your kids to work day. It's a don't go to crash day when you've got snot pouring out of your nose. (laughs) Um, I want to welcome everyone. Like I said, episode eleven. Uh, of uh, the good, the bars, and the ugly. Uh, like I say, this episode is called Kids Club. Uh, Mahi, you don't have any kids? No. Clever, clever. Proud. Proud and smug. <laughs> and annoying. An annoying face I'm looking at. Whoa. And that's him having fun. John John, it's nothing personal. I might have to mute you just for a minute, John John. <laughs> this is not, this is not a sound effect. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna shut John John down for a second because that's that, and I, I I'm very fond of Max to be honest with you he's good crack. Um, listen, I, I I have I have many children, don't I? Alhamdulillah, salama. Do you know they're like I wear them like a blanket. They're like a cloak that cover me in children. I'm even a granddad. My children are having children. You completed parenthood and then you went to the next level. They see I I keep preaching the same thing. Very average looking dad. Pretty damn hot granddad. That's what I'm going for here. Um, I'm like, kind of like a silverback gorilla. I love the way you're rolling your eyes to heaven. I'm like, I have one on my leg, one on my hip, two on my back, and I'm breastfeeding another just because. Breastfeeding. That's, uh, that's, I'm after painting a really wrong picture. The point is, the children are running rings around me. And I've only got two little ones, an eight and a ten-year-old. Uh, but, but, but bigger children, bigger problems. John John's nodding. He knows what I'm talking about. Um, the, they need help or I need help. One way or the other, I think between myself and John John, we, we need to talk to someone. So we found Gary Byrne, who is a senior clinical psychologist for the HSC. If anyone can help me and John John, it was him. It was very interesting. I'm sorry, John John, I had to mute you, but John John's nodding. And a very insightful chat for us. Uh, we really liked it. Uh, I hope you enjoy it too because this is that chat i suppose let's think i suppose what is your job title and and where do you work uh, so i am a senior clinical psychologist and i work in the hse in primary care in churchtown oh that's my um, old hunting ground i'm from around there i could have done with a child hand. psychologist as well <laughs> yeah, now you mention it 
something in the water. There you go. There, well, well, uh, that might be the case as well too. So I'm a, I'm a lifespan psychologist, so I see both children and adults. So it's it's kind of like a cradle to grave service, meaning that I could see at eleven o'clock I could see a two year old, and then by twelve o'clock will be a ninety two year old. So it's it's broad, it's right. a broad spectrum. When did, when did you realize that's, that this was for you? When, when, was, there, was there a time that you thought, I, I, this is what I want to specialize in, this is what I want to do? Yeah, I was at uh, a friend's stags there well, four or five years ago, and one of my friends said, Gary, you're one of the only people that I remember at 10 years of age, you said you wanted to be a psychologist, I get into this kind of area. And he said to me, you're one of the only people I know that actually did not necessarily follow their dreams. That sounds a bit Disney, but kind of pursued what they were interested in and went with it as well too. So I've always been interested in human beings, especially kind of the forensic element as well too. That's where I saw myself going originally as well too. And I'm, I'm a clinical psychologist, but my master's is also in forensic psychology. So um, I don't know how I landed in child, but... Because uh... that period obviously of, of childhood is is everything isn't it it like that's the basis of who you are and, and and all your baggage and all that stuff you know it's hugely important and even over the last eight say 10 20 years we've actually seen that that period of time like let's say 10 years of age that's not it's all time is important and they're even seeing that the first thousand days the first three years are crucial they're really really important in kind of helping get the trajectory right as regards a child's uh, emotional skills, social skills, cognitive skills, everything as well too. So it really is a good start is half the battle in most things in life. And that's very true, I think, as well too, for children. And the research attests to that as well too, about those first few years of life being crucial and yeah. how we relate to others and how we how we relate to ourselves interpersonally and make sense of this crazy world we're in. Because I, like, I look at my own children or, or, or the children that I'm responsible for and I wonder what level of fucking damage I'm doing to them. <laughs> I'm trying not to because I feel like I'm the, the, the aftermath of, of a similar father. But, but I, and I have all these so many different personalities. Some are, you know, they're, they're all completely different people, the same one fits all kind of attitudes, you know, and me and my missus turn around to each other and go, she's just like you, you know, we divide them into who's like you and who's like me yes. and, you know. And and the like yous are usually related to the times in which you don't particularly like your children, I imagine, or times in which we struggle with our children. Which is 23 out of 24 hours a day, Gary, <laughs> I won't lie to you here, man. It's, it's, they're tough work, aren't they? They, well, they are. Children, are, like I myself, have two children as well, too. And I work with parents, so a huge part of my work is working with parents as well, too. I wouldn't even call myself an expert offering advice that no one really wants or no one really asks for as well, too, because parents have a tough enough job without being told constantly about all the things they've done wrong. Yeah, yeah. it's constant. You can't open a book or a podcast or read a, pay, or read a paper about what can affect children. It's just a study yesterday as regards screen time. And they looked at screen time and were saying that screen time, looking at a screen before 18 months of age, gives you a whole load of risk factors as well too. And I suppose as parents, there's a concept that a very famous psychologist once came up with called being the good enough parent. Like you need to be the good enough podcast host. I need to be the good enough psychologist as well too. And good enough gets us there, especially as regards parenting and our ability to parent. But I well think too. as well, there's that level of, competitiveness i don't have it because but i'm not competitive by nature but i've been around friends who are going like 
oh, little Johnny, little Johnny's doing Mandarin. And I'm going, really? Little Johnny's a... Little Johnny was licking the fucking wall about an hour ago. Like, how you could muster up him to do Mandarin all of a sudden. But it's just heaping this. And that's the way they work. They, they're they like, okay, we're going to put as much as we can into... So for me as a parent, and I'm, I'm a grandparent now as well, just to add to it. Like, for me, I, I'm just like, just trying not to damage my kids too much. I'm just trying to be as have a have a, a transparent relationship and I don't really compare our parenting to anyone else unless unless you're in a specific situation this is and this leads me on yes. to the question what are the kind of most common circumstances that people come to you with I know that's probably a really broad question to ask you but it, it is yeah it, it is as well too but I'm assuming as regards parents coming with their children the number one reason would be emotional and behavioral difficulties and the second reason for, let's say, children under the age of 12 would be anxiety. So you've got emotional and behavioral difficulties, number one, and number two would be anxiety, as well as concerns around the child's maybe development or their cognitive ability, their intellectual ability. So you said that's interesting because I don't know, like, what am I, 45, right? So I don't know if it's just the fact that I grew up in an era where people just didn't talk about anxiety the way they talk about it now but why why do you believe that there's this kind of um a huge awareness or huge huge spike in anxiety is there a spike or has it always been there that's a difficult question and the research is kind of the research would suggest that yes that with greater awareness and greater knowledge that people are more able to firstly be aware of it and then access the support it's kind of like if you build it they will come and if you build psychological services as well too people will invariably use them because they're needed and they are required as well too as regard child anxiety for the last 10 years like we've we've looked at a range of different factors in the literature which suggest okay well what is it is it screen time is it kind of community that community factor that myself and yourself i'm not of your vintage baz i'm a little bit younger as well too but we remember like i was of that age group as well too where you were let out and you were out to play for hours on end literally and your mom was calling you back in as well too i don't know as a father if i would be even comfortable in allowing my five-year-old out for that long period of time without like we talk about you might have heard of bulldozing pair bulldozer parenting and helicopter parenting and all these kind of very pithy statements as well too there could be an element of truth and and also maybe like i suppose comparison is where happiness goes to die yeah and we are constantly comparing ourselves we live in a society where it is so easy to compare in my little social group i had 10 friends yeah you couldn't compare much as regards uh, some of my mates as well too okay now you've got a screen and you can literally compare yourselves to hundreds thousands millions if you want and you will be found lacking in something you will be found lacking in something whether stronger better smarter faster prettier as well too so you can see like there was a great netflix documentary there as well too its name escapes me as well too about these algorithms that they are using as well too to ensure that you are constantly hooked in to be hooked in as well too. And it makes sense you're constantly hooked in because- That was the social dilemma, I think. That's it as well too, as well too. And it's like the science is there. They used psychological principles at the start to ensure that those likes you see, they serve a purpose, yeah? They increase your likelihood of engaging with that. And if you're engaging with it, you're making money. Yeah, you see, I, I and I wonder about the communication. It's funny because I, I, I have a daughter and she has epilepsy, right? And yeah. And she was, I think she was about seven when she got diagnosed, you know? And the, the tip we were given is never, it'll come if she gets too excited 
or she gets too sad. And I went, she's fucking seven. She's only got two emotions and that's really excited or really fucking sad. Like, it's, it's, it's like speed. Yes, the bomb can, if the bus goes over 50, the bomb explodes and it has to stay in that very small bandwidth as well too. So what are you going to do? Make her just happy for 24 seven? You can't as well. Too. Did you come to that realization yourself? Well, I just that- thought, I just thought like, the thing I struggle with sometimes, and it is that thing of listening to, it can even be with your partner where you've different styles of parenting, you know, like one's a, a very much a disciplinarian and I've always tried to negotiate and talk and be calm. And then they, I, then I realised they're taking the piss out of me at times and, that you know, that's not work. So we have a buddy cop kind of routine that kind of works a bit, you know. Is there certain things... That, that are kind of um, warning shots for anxiety in children. Yeah, so it's, so like, we know as well too that temperament and biology is really important as well too. And you, I, I know as well too, I have, I have two children, I have friends who have more than two children and they know within the first couple of weeks as well too that some children are very easy to suit, very easy to settle as well too. Take to life like a duck to water as well too. Yes, they're just kind of, zen for want of a better word as well too there's other children that we know aren't as well too so they're irritable takes time to soothe they struggle just to kind of regulate themselves as well too and that could be a whole host of factors both biological and also environmental as well too i suppose where parents come to me as well too is what's an appropriate level of anxiety yeah what's what's normal and I use normal, like with yeah, those yeah, inverted yeah. commas as well too. Uh, and what's an appropriate level and what's a level that actually is, is impacting on day-to-day functioning is actually causing a problem in my child's life as well too. There is no easy answer. So within psychology, we work off formulation. So we look at all the specific factors that go some way into explaining as to why this child is presenting this way and this child is presenting this way, even though at the end of the day, they both look like they have anxiety as well too. So we're not kind of we kind of shy away a little bit more from the diagnostic piece of diagnosing as such and looking at kind of all the formative pieces, kind of like a mosaic jigsaw piece, yeah, of trying to put them together and look at, okay, why is the child presenting this way? And a lot of parents will come to me and I do a lot of uh, parenting work. So I work with parents a lot of the time um, uh, on, on both child behavior and child anxiety. And a lot of parents realize, okay, I am not to blame for my child's anxiety, but I'm the best person or I'm best place to help my child deal with it as well too. And that's a crucial understanding and a crucial kind of perspective change as well too, that you are not responsible for your child's anxiety in 99% of cases. However, the way you go about managing both your own anxiety and your child's anxiety is really, really important. And if we can fine tune it and kind of put in place some kind of supports and some kind of processes and techniques because the natural thing as a parent is to take it kind of personally isn't it do you get me like is i think it's the reason uh, any parents who have children with additional needs you know they're carrying a burden not i I don't mean the child is a burden but i mean the 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 extra energy and mentality and discipline it takes to look after a child who has additional needs is not comparable to to what we call you know your standard child you know huge and like the research is very clear about that that like parents of children with complex needs present with a whole range of stresses and strains that children who are neurotypical are fall within the kind of and I, as i said the normal range or whatever as well too they um yeah they face those they face the day-to-day what we as parents kind of take as granted 
other parents haven't got that luxury as well too. And I work with those parents and I see the stresses and strains that they're under of advocating, of having to advocate for service, of, of, of fighting for your child to get in, of helping your, of, of trying to find your child's place, the place they have in society, the place that they are so deserving of as well too, when all you have are what look like obstacles and barriers getting in the way as well too. Can you imagine how exhausting and stressful, and that's not me being patronizing. Yeah, no, no, 100%. I work with, I, I work with parents. I see parents who, who struggle with that as well too. And it's, um, it's eye opening and it's quite humbling as well too, to, to be in a position for a parent to be able to, to talk to you about those type of things because it is, it is. But I think it's been vulnerable again. So you know, I think it, it is that thing of, of, you know, feeling like I don't want to share my parental issues because then someone's going to judge me as a as a bad parent like my missus is like she's had six kids like and she's just you know it's even hard to argue with her because she's so good at parenting like she has it down but there's certain little things where we have different approaches like i say you have a particular approach to how you work can you can you tell me a bit more about that yeah, well, like I suppose as clinical psychologists, we're kind of trained in a range of different therapeutic approaches as well, too. So one would be, let's say, looking at attachment, the attachment as regards the child's uh, relationship with, with other people, the caregivers. And I also use a therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT as well, too, that I personally think like most good therapy there's recursive elements to it we use it in our day-to-day life if a therapist yes if something i'm a pragmatist at heart if something works you keep doing it as well too and if something's not working you stop as well too and look at certain therapy uh, that's a therapy that i use with parents and i use with children and then I find it. And what is that exactly? Can you explain that? So me? yes, so uh, act acceptance and commitment therapy. So it's an evidence-based uh, therapy. So it's been shown to work, and what it does, it does well. And I suppose what it tries to help people do is promote or cultivate a sense of psychological flexibility. We've got this thing here, this mind, which is an amazing entity. Yeah, it's it's one of the most amazing entities in the known universe. It's helped us kind of crack atoms get us to the moon as well too but it's constantly on and it's constantly on telling us all the stuff we can or cannot do all the things judging compa- comparing reasoning rationalizing as well too and a lot of times we're not even aware we're doing it because it's constantly on i suppose our relationship with our mind is similar to a relationship that a fish has with water knows no difference and what act tries to help us do is to notice our thoughts to open up to the difficult emotions that are there. So you mentioned vulnerability. A lot of people don't want to accept vulnerability. It's very hard emotion to accept, to be vulnerable as well too. So I might hide from it. I might try to push it away. I might try to get rid of it. And how do we try and get rid of difficult emotions? We kind of end up engaging in maladaptive behaviors, drinking too much, distracting ourselves, opting out of life, losing sight of the stuff that's important to us, our values, the stuff we care about, the stuff that matters as well too. So ACT tries to, pivot and use certain skills and us being able to be in the present moment to kind of see our thoughts as thoughts accept our emotions and move forward and do what matters and i think that's i think that's a a very noble cause i i'm left sometimes scratching my head looking at my kids wondering if they're fucking with me or not like i'm not sure what how do you differentiate between developmental behavior and something that needs attention do you get me i yeah 
and like and in that zone then that's what happens to parents as well too we start seeing our kids with a sniper rifle if that makes sense yeah. you're effing with me you're doing something here as well too okay and i imagine that's more likely to happen at six o'clock in the evening when you've had a full day of the kids and you're exhausted and you're tired and the well is running dry as opposed to maybe six o'clock in the morning when you're up and you're a little bit more bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. So we can see how our own perceptions, our own beliefs as well, to in that moment cloud what we see. And like most, not most parents, but sometimes we hear the words like, oh, they're being manipulative. They're, they know just what buttons to, to press, yeah? Most kids are just using what they have. You can't blame them. If pester power is a thing, it works, yes. It works. So don't blame the kid. Don't hate on the kid. It's hating on yourself for giving in, isn't it? Like I had, the other day, I had like four or five Easter eggs that were given to me and I had them in the boot of the car and they fucking wouldn't stop. They got a sniff that they were in the boot and they were at me and at me and I swore that I wouldn't get, and they just grinded me down as a team, like in a pincer motion where they came from every angle until... They were just filled with Capri's all over their faces. You know, they're just, they're clever, but that's a good trait to have as well, right? That's that's okay. Children will try and push boundaries at times. I suppose it's our job as parents to firstly understand what's happening for ourselves. I kind of use this analogy. Imagine you're a container, yeah? And the liquid in your container is your emotions. It's the stuff you have to deal with as well too. Now, Now, not only do you have to deal with the liquid in your container, you have to deal with your kids' emotional stuff coming into your container. Depending on your liquid level, it might be down here and you can take more on, yeah? If it's up near the surface, a little bit's going to go into overflow, yeah? And things mushroom and balloon as well too. So with parenting as well too, it it really is, it's a dynamic, it's an interpersonal relationship. It's like any relationship, yeah? We think our kids, they're our kids. Fundamentally, it's a relationship. Like, albeit with certain dynamics that are different. Yeah, we tell, like you are, consider, how many times are your children told what to do during a day? Hundreds of times. We, we do it, we do it ad lib, we do it not even recognizing it. Imagine how angry or annoyed you would be if someone was constantly telling you all the time what to do. And that's not to suggest, that's what we do as parents, that's our job. You've met, my, you've met my wife, Gary, have you? No, I haven't. No, yeah, you should. <laughs> She'd be, you'd understand. Well, I know exactly what you mean. Um, t- you tell go. me this, because I have different kids and I have a different, like I have ones that are quiet, that, that are very independent and never lose the head. I have ones that are, are highly emotional. Like, is there a way in which people should try to parent with different personalities? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult. It's extremely hard because, as you said, you're taking on different hats all the time. And we know certain children are quiet. They're reserved. Like, we all love our children, yes. But at certain times, you might like them differently, if that makes sense as well, too. And we might see, even in ourselves, certain traits. So without getting into too much self-disclosure, like anxiety is something that I'm drawn towards. I like working with anxious kids as well, too. There's something that draws me towards that as well. As regards children with behavioral difficulties as well too, I find that a little bit more difficult to work with and I imagine most parents do as well too. But I, I imagine that that's the case because I can recognize certain traits of myself and I can understand how difficult experiences, how that anxiety might manifest and something about that child's experience might resonate with me. And that can be very true within our own relationships with our own children. It is important to try and parent differently, but it's a very difficult task. Yes, you, there's only one of you. You come to parenting with all that baggage as you spoke about. We don't come to parenting as a blank slate. 
Yeah, we're not whatever age you are when you have your first child. And you're like, I'm a parent now. Yeah, we have all our aspirations and dreams. Yes, like you think that as you see your partners, whoever's bum growing, we kind of hope and our, our dreams are, are, are in that little bundle. But what we're going to do, the parent we're going to be and the parent will definitely not be as well too. And like, I suppose we call it parental reflective functioning. Are we able to reflect on our own experiences of being parented and how that then impacts on our parenting? Because it's funny, because like when I became a parent, one of the, one of the things that I'm most fond of, of being a parent is it reminds me of stuff that I forgot about being a child, you know, like, I, I, and it's sweet, it's nice, and it brings you back to that innocence, you know. But I, I have a friend, and he's, he was collecting me one day, right, and my, my, the, 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 my youngest was only a baby at the time, but when I was leaving the house, she was, like, losing her mind, banging on the window, and he said, look, do you want to get out of here fairly fast? And I was like, no, why, like, look at her, she's, too fucking heartbroken. Like, who's ever gonna love me that much? You, like, that's never gonna happen. I'm gonna soak this up and put a little dribbly face up against the window and everything. But, but soon enough, you know, you 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 kind of help help them in the best way possible, and 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 then they're off on their own. So that period of parenting, really, it's not a long time, is it? It's not at all. Like, it really isn't as well. And like, one of the traps I don't know, but we fall into wishing our parenting life away. So uh, after three months, they'll be doing this, and they'll be sleeping through the night at this stage, and they'll be able to do X, Y, or Z as well too. And that's us just kind of mindlessly parenting at times as well too whereas as you're saying there Baz can you be in the moment can you recognize and appreciate that snotty little nose and those weeping yeah. eyes as well too and seeing them as that as not another annoyance as something that okay in this moment my kid needs something from me yeah she's, she's really upset tell me this you know that um it's the most common thing I suppose is is hanging around with the the bad kids and it's never your kid is the bad one obviously what attention should be given to peer groups that your child is maybe hanging out with or integrating with yeah they're important without doubt and as your child matures and goes into their teenage years as well too it becomes a risk factor if your child falls into that group there's reasons like we would have to look at the factors as to why the child is drawn into that group why do they why do they gravitate towards that group what is that group giving them like we even know I'm not suggesting, but like in the US where there's gangs, we know that there are strong, strong attachments between gang members. They're seen as family members as well. Too. Now they get up to illegal stuff. It's family a brotherhood of sorts though, right? For yes, people who yeah, don't 100%. have any other people to yes. love them and care about them. And 100%. And some children out there who are struggling, who've gone through numerous traumatic experiences and mightn't have the ability to regulate their emotions or to kind of play cooperatively, they might be left out then from other peer groups who will be able to model or show those kind of appropriate behaviors and that then would leave them with limited options as regards friendships and they might then choose to gravitate towards friendships that um, don't model the kind of adaptive behavior but might kind of model the more maladaptive behavior of kind of pushing shoving those sort of things look at just because little johnny is playing with little steve and down the road and they're getting up to mischief does not mean that they're going to turn out to be master criminals at the age of 18 okay so we need to put a, a caveat with that as well too but it's important that parents are aware and like understand also because it's never my child no 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 it's never my child never never no it's they're being led down the gar garden path whereas in fact in some cases that's the case if your child is vulnerable and they have a 
you say, kind of learning difficulties as well too. That could be the case, 100%. However, if we're looking at kind of a, an equal relationship, well, then we need to see what, what uh, each party is providing or giving. And I suppose they're social tools and skills that they've, they've got to learn that they can't be around their parents, right? They, they, they're, they're, school for me is as, as important socially as it is for education, you know, to learn those skills of being a bit savvy, knowing when someone's taking the piss out of you, learning how to negotiate and, 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 and deliberate and, you know, just that's, that's essential. That's never been more true than the year that we've just had. Yeah. So I have children who pre-pandemic would not in a million years say they miss school. The longer the summer holidays, the better. And I'm seeing children now that are like, they're loath to admit it. But they miss the school, they miss that element, the structure, the ability to learn those skills, to, to deal with the frustration and the upset, but to also embrace the joy, the camaraderie as well, to and everything in between. How important is structure? Because I hear it all the time, but it's, it's, it's like going to the gym. You, you know you should do it, you, you know you should do, do some exercise every day, but that structure in your life is so important in other aspects. Is it the same with the parenting? By and large, yes, but like we're not building a a tower here. There's no blueprint that we need this structure in place now. And parents will find our own structure and own routines that work. But we know, and the literature is quite clear as well too, that an element of routine and structure helps. Like, I don't know about you, but I have a diary here. I needed to be on this call at half two. I need to ensure that other stuff was blocked off and I will then go collect the kids after this. That's structured. That's a routine. It's important. It's, look, at it's not going to be the hill you die on. But I think over the last year, the lack of structure and the lack of routine for both children and parents with homeschooling and everything that that brought up really does show what happens when there isn't that element of structure or routine. Things get a little bit messy and it's stressful. Yeah. It's funny you talk about stress. I saw an article last week and it made me laugh because again, back to that vulnerability of being a parent, right? Where where people don't admit I, I'm struggling as a parent. Like I remember mm. they were dragging me all onto chat shows and everything just because I said, I'm cracking up as uh, like parenting at home. Like, you know, yeah. like homeschooling. I was like, look, I just went on my own agenda and we started like drawing maps of Ireland. And I, I was like, you know, I have to maintain my, the mental well-being of my children. If I'm becoming so stressed trying to keep up this workload, then then I'll have to give, you know, I'll have to just do it my way and keep everybody happy. But there was this article last week about parents who wrote anonymously about regretting having children. Um, how can you help parents who feel like they're going through this? Well, first, are you acknowledging and validate that? Could you imagine feeling that way in this society? Imagine, imagine having the bravery first to be able to open up, maybe anonymously at the start, but saying how painful those emotions are. Imagine if you really wanted your child. Imagine really wanting your child and, I don't know, going through IVF or whatever. And then a couple of months or years later on, you have this gift now when you're going, oh God, I can't, oh God, oh, oh. I think parenting is the ultimate dance between dependence and independence, yeah? We want, as a parent, our independence at times. We want to be away from our child. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And then we have the child who is totally dependent on us. And it's a role that a lot of parents come into. There is no manual. There is no cookbook as well to on how to, a little bit of this and a little bit of that and 18, poof, you've got a, a responsible member of human society. It's not. So in that situation, I would really praise and validate that 
that I'm assuming it's a mother. There you go. That's my own assumption. Yeah. Could be a father. Yeah. And if she is coming with that, well, they have pretty big, messy emotions to have to deal with as well, too. And I'd suggest, firstly, linking in with someone that you feel able to talk about this because most parents who are honest have at times felt something similar maybe to not that extent and for other parents they might have never felt it but there are times as well too where we long for periods of time where we were on our own where there were no demands see my my mate jimmy's not helping me at the moment he keeps <laughs> he's he no children he keeps going on about the boat he's about to buy and how he's going to retire and everything and i'm just like looking at um, growing school fees and everything else um is there an age where life circumstances really start to impact us as children psychologists are a lot like economists yeah ask one and you get a different opinion yeah my belief is that there is no one set time if i get through this time ah well then i'm quids in yeah if i get up to four if i get my kid up to four and they're relatively okay brilliant it depends on life experiences what are they going to experience what are those things that you might be suggesting what type of traumas might they be going through parental stress Parental separation, parental mental health, abuse, neglect, bullying. No, there's no period of time in which a child is invulnerable to any of those. Now, it stands to reason then if the child has a secure base, yeah, has a strong relationship with a, a primary caregiver, has a good social circle. And by a good social circle, I mean just one or two friends. They don't need to be Mr. or Mrs. Popular. These are all the protective factors that can go some way in ameliorating or kind of dulling the, uh, the, the blade, so to speak, of those possible difficult experiences as well too. So no, I don't think there is one. Because in my head, I, 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 you kind of have this picture that between the ages, say, three and before they go into first year, you go, like, that you, they're yours to try and mold psychologically and, and, and emotionally as much as you can. But have you lost them after that? As soon as they walk in the doors of secondary school, there's that feeling of, yeah. well... Oh, they're, they're, out, they're out in the big bad world, yeah. yes. It's never lost. The connection can be there. It changes during time. So that's not a loss. Your, your relationship with your parent fundamentally changes as you mature. It has to. And I keep on coming back to this dynamic dance. Not only does the child change, but the parent changes. Yeah? We have to be more open to going, okay, my reckless 16 year old is going to engage in some dangerous behavior possibly behavior that i don't condone or particularly want but would still be seen as quite developmentally within that age range so we as parents have to change our own response and if we don't children ensure that we do because they will push to ensure that they are given those freedoms that's why for example over the last year teenagers their mental health has taken somewhat of a battering and the research suggests that it's because of their lack of opportunity to socialize, to engage, to have that outside or outdoor peace that they have found really, really difficult and, and, and struggle as well too. So no, I don't think you ever lose your child. Mm. There are always opportunities to, it's like any relationship, there's rupture and there's repair, rupture, repair, and it's a constant dance or a cycle. And is, is the mental health, is that only developed in teenagers or is this something that starts much, much earlier? Like Much earlier. Infant mental health. So it's zero to three. People hear the word mental health. Uh, with infants, they go, what the hell? An infant doesn't have mental health. Because I think sometimes we have an assumption that mental health is something that needs to be fixed. No. Mental health is there. The minute your child comes out into the world, they're looking to interact and engage with you. Okay? They, they are looking. And they will ensure that they... 
they will ensure that they can have the type of relationship that they need to survive. And like, there's, there's assessments from nine months to 18 months called strange situation for anyone who's interested, that they can assess the quality of the attachment, the quality of the relationship you have with your child at nine months to 18 months, nine months to 18 months. I think that's fascinating. Fascinating. It's amazing that they have the tools in place to assess the quality of the attachment or the quality of the relationship that the child has with their parent. So no, mental health, it's always there in the background. Use different words, but as regards this kind of our piece, it's always on. Mindfulness has become very prominent in, in today's world. It's something that you hear all the time now. Can kids take this on board or should or should we just let kids be kids? Like, you know. There are mindfulness-focused uh, programs for children. It's like a little bit of mindfulness goes a long way. My own personal practice, I don't use the word mindfulness. I don't like it. Be- the difference for me is some people think mindfulness is, you know, um, stand, standing in the lotus position or something and with a little candle and, you know, you're out in the Himalayas or somewhere. Uh, you know, while for me, like if I'm doing a colouring book with my daughter for half an hour, that to me is mindfulness. Or if we're, if we're doing something like a jigsaw together, it's somewhere where your mind is just slightly elevated to to something else rather than it being this zen state of of you know self-discovery kind of do you know what i mean yeah, it can be both so i invariably my kind of and i call it present moment awareness because that's what mindfulness is at its core it's bringing your attention to the present moment so if your attention is in the present moment and you're in zen position with a lovely himalayan candle or uh, and, and the chimes dinging away quids in great but the reality is most people this mind is constantly on and it's constantly running so mindfulness asks us to do two things one is to bring your attention into the present moment and the second is when you notice your attention wandering off to gently and non-judgmentally bring it back sounds easy sounds like anything we should be doing but minds hate mindfulness they hate them they hate it they absolutely hate it because they're constantly on and i can only speak for myself the people that i think that when i'm doing present moment awareness stuff with that get it aren't buddhists or aren't zen in that in that kind of white lotus position or whatever they're the ones who realize my mind has wandered and i've brought it back oh it's wandered again i've brought it back up oh, gone again and again this kind of catch and release as well too so I think that's getting mindfulness. And it can be as simple as, as you said, spending half an hour drawing with your daughter. With the latest attention on mental health, do you think this should change the way we continue to communicate with our children in regards to, say, encouragement or reprimanding them or, uh, more importantly for me, is, is trying to instill confidence in them, you know? I have a kind of a, a love-hate relationship with confidence and self-esteem. I believe in something that's more important that kind of supersedes those, and it's kind of self-acceptance, okay? I wasn't particularly confident. This is my first podcast with you, uh, with anyone, Baz, as well, too. I'd usually shy away from these type of social experiments. Well, you're doing great. Let me just tell oh, you, thanks, 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 thanks. knock it out so of the there's the reassurance. You're brilliant. There's the compliment. Like, thank yeah. you, thank you. The reassurance and the compliment. So I didn't feel 100% confident in doing this. I was accepting of that anxiety, and I still did it. So... When I hear parents say, well, he needs to be more confident or he needs to have more self-esteem as well too. I'm kind of going, I can understand where you're coming from, but I'm wondering, like they did really interesting research there a couple of years ago, maybe 10, 20 years ago. The researcher's name escapes me, but it's really interesting. In the, US, in the UK, sorry, the US, I should say, they tried to ensure that children were self-confident and full of self-esteem and they had these classes and these programs. 
and they were given a kind of a dose of the best every morning as well too and they found that actually what happened at the end these little darlings didn't become particularly self-confident or self uh, or full of kind of self-esteem they became more narcissistic wow. they became as though the, the world centers around me and it has to center around me because I'm the best. So with anything, like in anything in life, there's balance. How do we help our child deal with the very realistic stresses and strains that they're going to face in life? How are we going to bring back resilience, bounce back ability, whatever you want to call it? Because I know in my own life that the times I've failed, and I don't say this kind of looking down at other people, I've learned the most from it when I've oh, picked yeah. myself up. There's a great Maya Angelou quote. Um, and it's it's about belonging really but it was like your level of belonging can never be greater than your level of self-acceptance like it is that thing of all that confidence all that bravado all that but but that's just from feeling okay in yourself you know wherever i find myself you know you want to feel at home do you know that's the thing and you can only have that in yourself so i I completely get where you're coming from with that that makes complete sense we all have differing personas that we use at certain times but my wife and those who i'm closest with will probably see the real me and that's perfectly fine as well too that doesn't mean that the persona i'm adopting here is any less or more real or fake but what needs to be done here in a professional capacity i can be something else i was walking by my teen where i have a 16 year old at home and i was walking by her bedroom there dude like and like she's laughing like a the head back like a fucking musketeer on the bed to her mates she comes out to us like stony faced not like not a didn't crack a smile all week and i, I was kind of going and i thought it was in bed going who's the real her is is the real her pissed off? Or is the real her really happy? Do you get me? I'm trying to... <laughs> and imagine if there is no real her. Imagine if all of those are just facets of who she is, depending on the situation and the context. Yeah. Because other times we can really get kind of stuck into, well, why is he or she presenting or behaving like that with them and not with me? And is it something that I've done? Or And that can be kind of a rabbit hole that mightn't have an escape hatch. And they're up and down. Like, I, I laughed because you were saying about, about the kids. Like, I'd literally have a favourite kid of the week. Like, they're, 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 they move positions. It's like Cheltenham of children. That's what it is. I, I, okay. I'm just kind of going like, like you're my favourite this week. Love you. Who's in the and relegation, the, who's in the relegation yeah. zone? Like that moody 16-year-old yeah. this week happens to be my favourite kid this week. She's great. She's in <laughs> okay. flying form. So it's, um, it's sadly, there's, there's not a... Uh, one fits all for for any of this is there ever no no and uh, uh, that's great if we if we get to this however long we have as well too and we realize that yeah human behavior is complex and the more we try to kind of cookie cut our life into these kind of discrete categories or boxes we're going to kind of leave a lot of the color out i i listen this is the last thing i'll ask you and it's just yeah, something that was in the back of my mind are there certain trends with teenagers especially regarding um the glamour, glamorizing of like self-harm or other trends like that. Is that, is that become trendy now? I'm, I'm not sure if trendy is, so even leaving aside self-harm, so we even see, so the HSE and other kind of health professionals all over the world have said that during lockdown, rates of eating disorders have increased massively. I don't think there's like mental health de jour, there's certain categories that become popular as such i do we do know with self-harm and even with suicide there are contagion effects and i know even in my own personal work that it's not uncommon for a child who is self-harming to have had at least one peer who might have self-harmed as well to or be discussed or spoken about i think the important thing instead is looking at why is this self-harm happening what's the function of it what's it about likely risk is it leading into kind of more 
problematic behavior so i do think there's a contagion element yeah and i and i think even the media as well to have certain responsibilities and how they go about reporting well, I think even, even shows you watch on netflix where it's kind of not, not glamour and i i know it's a serious thing but i just i've heard of i've heard it so much more often than i've ever heard about it before and i just wondered was it a bit was there a zeitgeist for it at the moment where maybe some kids at their cry for help you know, they see it as this and, you know, maybe to consider that Possibly. Them. So one of the functions of self-harm could be, like, I'm thinking one of the functions could be it's far easier to control how deep this knife goes into me, into me and the pain I can control physically than the emotionally the emotional pain that I feel I have no control over. This gives me a distraction. This gives me a moment's respite from the the turmoil I'm feeling inside. That could be one reason as to why someone self-harmed. Could be a whole host of different reasons. If you come to see someone like myself, we'd hope to get a better understanding of it first. Validate, make sense of it. I, I, I love it saying that anything that is human not be alien to me, yeah? Mm. And even the most, like the behavior that makes parents go, what the hell is happening? Can we make sense of it as best we can? Can we understand it? And that helps us then come to it in a different way instead of the, no, this isn't gonna. I, I mean it as well too, because when we get to that zone, it usually means we've kind of the communication has lost. Yeah. Possibly. Do you know what? You you should do your own podcast. I'll tell you that for a start. <laughs> Doctor Gary Byrne, man, Gaz, listen. I just thank you so much. That was so interesting. I could chat to you all day. I'm sorry I didn't bring the six of them with me and the granddaughter. Um, Therapy for free, yeah. Well, honestly, I should have got me money's worth. Um, you're brilliant. I, I, I can't thank you enough. You know, that's really... Um, and can I just do a quick shout out, Dr. Please. Claire Brady? He's a colleague of mine. So I'd like to just thank Claire for kind of facilitating this. Listen, big up you, big up Claire. And Gary, really appreciate yeah. your time. I know you're busy. So uh, it means Hello. a lot. So look, thanks very, very much. Pleasure, Baz. It's like drugs. You start them young, get into their get into their psyche. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yes. It feels like John John at the Christmas party, doesn't it? <laughs> About three a.m. Sorry, where do you want to go? Hell <laughs> uh. Um. Listen, parenting is 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 difficult, and it's only made more difficult by trying to compare yourself to the fairy tale, lofty, beanstalk heights of expectation we kind of put on ourselves, trying to live up to what's sometimes not really achievable. You know, don't don't compare yourself. Like, I'm, just from my own experience, like, just try, I'll, I just try my best. There's a point you come to when you grow up and you realise your parents were bullshitting quite a lot, weren't they? Do you know, like, like, they don't have all the answers. And I'll tell you now, you're not going to have all the answers either. A lot of it is just, is just trying to figure it out. It's like, it's life. Do you know what I mean? You, you won't know everything and, and you'll just learn from mistakes. So for me, with my, with my kids, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I try to be honest. I try not compare myself to other people because I can't live up to other people's expectations. I try to have a transparency and a communication with my kids. Uh, uh, I, I just try my best and if that fails I bullshit them I just pretend I know everything and that seems to to work a little bit it was like it worked on me worked for my mum it can work for you too okay that's it for this week do you know what I mean what, what are you Mahi subscribe oh yeah yeah you want me to do that thing just, well, do, this is what, I don't have kids so this is, this is my kid so okay so so uh, I'm asking people to to subscribe 
and, and Max is asking you to subscribe yeah. if you could for Max if you could subscribe for Max and for John John and for Mahi you could leave a comment that'd be really nice you could tell your friends listen I listened to this very interesting podcast with a very bad outro but um, you could do that or you could follow us on Instagram at B-A-S-H-M-A-W-Y or you know you, I think that's everything isn't it that's it that's all I, that's all, all I got for this week I'm dropping this mic I'm outie good luck in the cup